This is Real Estate Rookie episode 338. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, I might look a little bit different today. I'm pulling a bit of a Clark Kent, brought out my glasses. Ashley didn't even recognize me today. She hopped on and she was like, who, who is this person and where is my co-host? I mean, you're saying Clark Kent, but I'm pretty sure I said nerdy or dorky, but okay. <laughs> they're, they're one in the same, one in the same. Uh, but no, we, uh, all jokes aside, guys, we got a, we got a good episode today. We're, we're hitting you guys with another Ricky reply. And, uh, we've got four questions, uh, that we're going to cover today. We talk a little bit about like, Hey, if you're in that stage of choosing your market, what are those data points, uh, that you should be looking at to know if a market is a good market or not, which is an important thing to consider today, especially in 2023. Interesting about investing. Uh, we talk a little bit about paying contractors. What's the right way to do that without getting, uh, maybe scammed by a contractor and how do you make it easy on yourself as well? Yeah. And we talk a little bit about credit card hacking and how you can incorporate that into uh, your contractors paying for materials for your rehabs and your projects. Then we talk about liens on properties, foreclosure, pre-foreclosure. And we give a couple examples of properties that I've purchased um, that are in foreclosure or were for- foreclosed on and what it was like dealing with the bank. So if these are things you are interested in, this is the episode for you. And as always, no matter what your strategy, what your experience, we always try to educate you and leave you little pieces of nuggets that maybe there's one aha moment per an episode that we hope you have. So if you have any of those aha moments, uh, we would love for you to please leave us a reading and review on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube and let us know what you have learned from the rookie podcast. And maybe someone will read it and be inspired to take action on their real estate journey. Before we bring on your rookie reply questions, this could be the last episode that Tony and I record together before baby comes. So that even though when this true. actually airs, baby will, baby be, will be here, here for sure. <laughs> and, but um, we are counting down the days uh, before Tony is on his paternity leave and we will have separation anxiety from not seeing each other every single week <laughs> every on Zoom, week. sometimes <laughs> twice a week. So um, lots of FaceTiming with the baby, I'm sure. Baby but um, yeah, so uh if you haven't already, make sure you congratulate Tony, because by the time the series, he'll have a little newborn baby girl. Excited times, guys. Well, with that, uh, let's get into today's questions. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. What does financial freedom mean to you? More time with your family and friends, the ability to take that globe-trotting trip, or do you just want to sleep in until 10 a.m. every day with no boss to answer to? Real estate is your gateway to financial freedom, but rent-ready property management software is what keeps your free time actually free. From seamless online rent collection to custom applications, property marketing tools, and repair request tracking, RentReady allows your portfolio to run on autopilot. The best part is you can manage all your rentals right from your cell phone. And that's why RentReady is my favorite property management app around. I use it for all my rentals. Whether you've got one or a dozen doors, RentReady helps you streamline how you manage your rental properties to create a life you love in 2024. Now, Rent Ready is already included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com. And use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. TurboTax experts make all your moves count filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side-hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Okay, today's... First question is from Blake Kretzinger. That I did not say that wrong. Kretzinger. Kretzinger? Maybe one of those are correct. Okay, Blake's question is, what are some metrics you use when identifying potential markets to invest in? I've determined that long-distance investing is my best bet as my home market, the DFW, is a pricey one. I'm looking to utilize the Burr strategy and I'm looking to identify several markets with a lower cost of entry. The main factors I'm assessing as of now are population growth, medium home price growth, crime levels, average household income growth, and job growth. What would you add, take out of my analysis? Tony, I see you vigorously writing down notes. What, what do you got? So um, I, I think there's there's a few pieces to this, right? So Blake, first, it's a it's a fantastic question and one that I think a lot of rookies um, are are thinking about. So I'm glad we get to discuss this. But uh, before we even get into like, hey, what are the like data points I should be assessing when I'm looking at a market? I think the first question you have to ask yourself is, what is my motivation as a real estate investor? Like, like, what is the actual purpose that I have for investing in real estate? And typically, there, there's like three big buckets that you kind of fall into. There's cash flow, there's appreciation, and there's tax benefits, right? Cash flow, appreciation, tax benefits. And usually, you're trying to balance those three. And if you're investing in short-term rentals, there's a fourth one, which is like vacation. So maybe you just want to like subsidize the cost of you owning a vacation home somewhere. Um, but cash flow, appreciation, and tax benefits. So between those three, I'd say gauge which one is most important, second important, third important. So kind of prioritize those into a list. And then that's going to help you determine what are the underlying metrics that are more important to you. Because you have you know population growth, median home growth, crime levels, household income, job growth, et cetera. 
But what if your goal is really just cash flow right now today? Then maybe you're not as concerned about average, like median home price growth, right? Because that's not as important to you. What you're really focused on is how do I maximize my cash flow? And if that's your ultimate, ultimate goal, then maybe you're not even as concerned about crime levels because you're like, hey, I'm fine going into a war zone if I can get a 40% cash on cash return on a traditional long-term rental. So I think the first um, piece is understanding which of those three is most second and third uh, most important. What, what are your thoughts, Ash? So a while ago, Steve Rosenberg, another investor, and he does a lot of like business coaching and consulting. And we sat down and we actually made a, a market analysis worksheet as to like, here are the things that you should be looking at when analyzing a market. So I'm just going to read them off real quick. And it was really interesting to see our different perspectives as to what was more important to each of us. And then we kind of combine them. So look at three different job industries. You want to make sure that there's not just one industry that supports the towns because if that, you know, facility closes, then majority of people are out of work and they're relocating. So you want to look at the three major job industries that are there, population growth, average home value, average rent, the price to rent ratio. So how much are you purchasing these property for and what would be the rent that you'd get out of it? Um, the tax assessment percentage. So how much are you paying um, in property taxes? What's the percentage based on the, the home's appraised value? The utilities, if there's anything unique. So around here, a lot of homes are heated with um, natural natural fuel. So um, we have lines that are run from the road, just like you'd get your electric, whatever. And then the gas heats your house, the natural gas. And sometimes there is not that available and you actually have to get propane tanks and hook them to the house. And then you have to have a propane truck come and fill the propane tank. So looking at different things like that is to are there unique things that may, you know, determine the home's value? Like it definitely is a lot more convenient to have natural gas supplied to your house than actually having to come and get your propane tank refilled. Um, so different things like that. Then seasonal maintenance. Are you going to have to worry about snow plowing? Are you going to have to worry about the snow load on the roof? Um, specialty insurance. Are you in a flood zone? Are there hurricanes? Are there, you know, kind of natural disasters that happen? You have to have specialty insurance, earthquake insurance. Uh, the average age of renters, average income of renters, you want to make sure that the average people in that market can actually afford what you would want to to list your unit for rent, um, average education level, percentage of homeowners versus percentage of renters, the crime statistics in the school district rating, the average age of properties. So if you don't want to get into renovating a 1900s home, don't buy in an area where the majority of them, like where I live, are from the 1900s. Um, the average vacancy rate in the area for other landlords and then are there multiple exit strategies? So if you were buying this as a short-term rental, would it also work as a long-term rental or vice versa? Uh, so those are the things that we had on our list. And I'm going to give you two resources to find a majority of this data without having to go and search for it. The first one is brightinvestor.com, where you can put in the zip code, the, the neighborhood that you're looking in, and it will give you a lot of this market research. And then the other one is neighborhood 
www.thrivingmomsmarket.com where it'll give you a wealth of information too. Um, there are some free capabilities that you can, some information you can pull from these um, or you have to pay. So I think like Neighborhood Scout, you can like pay per zip code or something. And I think it's like 20 bucks and you can get the, the full report. So those are my two recommendations as to some place to get you started. So you're not having to find and Google and search every single little piece of information. That was a, a great breakdown, Ashley, of like all of the the different data points to look at. And uh, the insurance one really, really uh, hit home with me. Uh, <laughs> so for those of you that have been listening to the, the podcast for a while, uh, you know that part of the reason that my Shreveport house, that deal kind of fell apart was because the flood insurance premium like quadrupled uh, from one year to the next and almost immediately made that house uh, unprofitable. So understanding those nuances, I, I think are pretty important. But everything that, that uh, you know, Ashley just went over, um, I guess let me take a step back. There, there are two types of data that you want to consider when you're considering a market to invest into. You have your quantitative data and then you have your qualitative data. So quantitative is everything that, that Ash just talked to, right? Like vacancy, uh, job growth, uh, flood insurance premiums, things like that, right? Um, your qualitative information, your qualitative data, that comes from conversations, so that's you talking to local property managers in that market and getting a sense of, hey, where do you feel this market is moving? Like, like what are the pockets that, that work well? What are the pockets that don't work well? Where should I avoid? Where should I focus on? Talking to local real estate agents in that market, right? A, a good agent should know their markets like the back of their hand. Um, I, I love my agent in, in Joshua Tree because this guy is just like an encyclopedia of everything happening in and around that city. He knows what laws are getting passed. He knows what the city council is talking about. Like he's just tapped into to everything. So a good agent can also give you a lot of that qualitative information. And then the third place to look for that is other real estate investors in that market. So go to your local meetups, right? Um, get active in Facebook groups that are local to your, your city and try and have conversations with folks to understand what has their journey been like? Because the data is going to point to, you know, to, to one thing, right? The, the data is going to paint one type of story, but you can really get that full picture by talking to someone and really understanding their unique experiences because there's always fuzziness in data. Like you, you can never be 100% certain just by looking at numbers, but you can build that confidence in your decision by talking to someone that's investing in that market. So if I wanted to invest near Buffalo, New York, I'm not just going to look at the data. I'm going to go to Ashley. I'm going to say, Ashley, give me the playbook. Like wh wh what should I be focusing on? What, what pitfalls should I avoid? And Ashley could probably rattle those off like the back of her hand because she's done it so many times. So you want to look for the quantitative and the qualitative data. And I think some of the, when you're deciding what markets to actually analyze, start where you have those kind of opportunities, whether maybe it's your hometown. So, you know, some of the streets, you know, the areas, you know, what's good and bad or you have a boots on the ground, you know, somebody that you can ask those, those questions to. That's a great, just to like an idea it may not work out to be the market that works for you, but that's like a great place to start is um, where you have those advantages. Just one caveat that we should add to that too, is that um, you, it, it's good to have both. <laughs> uh, I see some mistakes that, that some people make is that they only rely on the qualitative data and that they don't focus enough on the quantitative. So just because someone says, 
Um, Orlando, Florida is a great place to buy a short-term rental or St. Louis, Missouri is a great place to flip a home. Just because you see that on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube or wherever, don't let that be the only, you know, like data point that you use to then go out and invest all your money into that market. So the qualitative is a, is, is a good balance, but you want to make sure that you're still getting both of those. And verify, verify and verify. Data. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the next one is from Inca Comstock. And this question is going to sound dumb, but okay, no dumb questions here. If a contractor lets you buy materials with your personal credit card, how do you do this? And you're out of state. Do you just have to go with him and purchase materials with them? What options are out there? So this is where, how much do you trust your contractor where you actually make them an authorized user and they get their own credit card to use and you know what transactions are coming from them because it's a credit card that has their name on it. Um, and to add someone as an authorized user, you don't typically need their social security number or anything like that. You just need their name and address to have them added on um, if they don't want it to impact their their credit. You can do that. But another option is to actually buy the materials online with your credit card and have it ready to be picked up at the store and they will go in and be able to pick up the order. And you would just add them as the person that's picking up the order. That I think is one of the best ways to do it. Out of state, you don't want to actually give them your credit card um, is to to do it that way. We've done both of those. Um, we, you know, our guy Nacho, <laughs> who's done all of our flips, uh, he's an authorized user of one of our credit cards. Uh, but Sam, like usually like Home Depot, you know, you can have like your credit card on file if you've got like the, what is it, like the pro account or whatever yeah. it is. Um, like your contract can just walk in and say, hey, I'm, you know, here for this and job. And yeah, and they, they can charge it. Um, and then we we just, and that's a big reason why we're we're kind of selective on which vendors we buy from. Um, like sometimes our designer who we work with, uh, you know, she creates amazing designs, but sometimes she picks these like somewhat obscure places that, uh, you know, it's like to, to get the, the selections from. And we like places that we can always order online that ship fast. Um, so on it, like ideally we, we can even save our contractor the trip of going to the store to pick that stuff up. We try and buy everything online and just ship it directly to the property to, to save a lot of that, that headache. Um, I guess one other option you could do, like, like say that, um, I don't know, maybe the store you're buying from is like a local shop that doesn't process orders online. If you've got maybe a more uh, tech savvy contractor that you're working with, uh, they could just invoice you. Say they're using like QuickBooks or something. They could invoice you. You could use a credit card to pay their invoice. And now they've got the cash from that invoice payment to go out and pick up the, the materials. Um, so another option uh, in case you want to go that way. The only thing with that doing it that way then is that the contractor is paying the credit card fees. Or they're just like marking you up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like yeah, yeah. whatever those fees are, maybe tack on like an extra hundred bucks or something like that. Um, well, one thing that you, you said, Ashton, that kind of brings up another question is um, you said like if you add your contractor, it doesn't impact their personal credit. Um, do you do you always set it up as a business credit card or do you sometimes use personal credit cards? Like like what's your what's your mix for funding the the rehabs? I definitely do business credit cards because those point sign up bonus points are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, so, yeah, I always do a business credit card. And um, Daryl does a lot. He handles pretty much all the project management for materials and things like that. But there was a couple. So he will usually order it online, have it ready for pickup. Um, 
or he'll go and do the order and just go shopping or whatever and bring it to the the property. Like if it's department turnover or whatever for the contractor. But I, I did, um, re- last year there was two, like over the winter, there was two contractors that each gave a credit card to. And, um, all I had was, um, keep the receipts in an envelope for me. Um, and then at the end of the project, they had like a budget and their budget was based on, you know, their labor and their materials. So any, like, I think they went over maybe like $63 or whatever, but he like paid that out of pocket that, you know, that was over the budget, whatever. And, um, so I just had them save every receipt and then, um, also anything that was, they needed to return to make sure it got returned and, you know, give me the receipt for the return. And then I just would scan them all into QuickBooks and, um, and now Daryl does all of that too, where every receipt goes into QuickBooks with like the scan snap. And then it's just, you know, uh, assigned to whatever property it was for. But, um, I do like, we just gave our short-term rental manager a credit card so she can go on Amazon and in our Amazon account and order stuff and it gets sent right to the cleaner's house. And then the cleaner will be the one that takes it to the property for us. And, so we actually added her as an authorized user on a credit card, but I, it's, so it's, it's me, it's Daryl. And then it's her for this one LLC. And I like the fact that, you know, when the statements come, I can have that kind of glance over as to like, you know, how much each person is charging instead of just giving somebody, you know, my credit card or whatever, like making them the actual authorized user. Cause it's not like anybody checks at a store that it's actually you using a credit card. So technically you could just give them any credit card, especially if it is an LLC, no one's looking at the actual name on the credit card, but I think it gives them some, a more sense of accountability is like this card has your name on it and it was used to purchase this. Yeah. There's some increased accountability there for sure. Um, one thing you mentioned that was the Amazon piece. And I just want to share this with people because it's been really helpful for us from like a bookkeeping perspective. Uh, but we have Amazon prime, but we have like, there's Amazon business prime, um, and the way that we set it up is that you can have different groups. So like each one of our business entities is set up as like a different group inside of, um, Amazon business. And then you can assign your different team members, users, vendors, whoever to specific groups. Um, and then whenever they go to make a purchase on Amazon, uh, you can set it up so that before they can complete that purchase, um, they have to include like the, the information you need for bookkeeping. So for us, we always, they always have to tag what property that purchase is for. And then they have to tag like the account number inside of QuickBooks. So like, is this consumable supplies? Is this, uh, you know, whatever repairs and maintenance is, what is it? You know? Um, so that way our bookkeeper at the end of each month, instead of having to like chase down receipts and do all this stuff, she also has access to Amazon. She can see all the receipts there. She can pull a report at the end of the month that's itemized by expense that shows what property was it for and then what was the associated account number. That little hack alone um, sounds super simple, but it saved us a ton of like administrative time of like managing receipts for Amazon specifically. So now like Amazon's got us like all of our consumable supplies. We pretty much only buy through Amazon because it's really streamlined the process of the bookkeeping and accounting for us. Yeah, that's what we did too for the short term rentals is added a, a completely separate group. Yeah, and it's definitely made it a lot easier. But did you know that with Amazon Prime Business, they don't include Prime Video anymore? You got to pay extra for that now. It used to be <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> and I don't have like a personal Prime account, so I had to yeah. you know, shell out the eleven ninety nine. Actually, you don't Prime you don't Video. have a personal Prime account. Why, why don't you? Do you, you just ordered all through the business? Yeah, like I have like one of the groups is 
me personally, along with my four siblings, that's my contribution <laughs> yeah. to my family. My brother has the Netflix. <laughs> I contribute the Amazon Prime. And, yeah. Yeah, I, I got to set it up that way because I got, we have Apple TV Plus, we have Prime, well, we have Amazon Prime, we've got Disney Plus, ESPN, Hulu, that whole bundle. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous now. Like, we're spending almost as much on these streaming services as we were on, like, traditional cable. And we still have cable, which makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we just had to buy uh, YouTube TV because that was the only way we could watch football games. Is that because... Like last year, we were like downloading uh, what how what streaming app do we have to you know download this week yeah. to watch the game and you know then we'd forget to cancel it and then we'd have to pay for it. But yeah, that's how they get you. Yeah, but one thing with the credit cards too, which we've actually talked about quite frequently, is using the reward points on them too. So you had mentioned like at Lowe's, you can do the Lowe's Business Pro account or whatever, and sometimes uh, with some of their programs, they have many different ones. Same with Home Depot is you use their credit card that they offer, like the Lowe's credit card, and um, you get, you know, 5% back or whatever it may be. But you want to weigh out like what you, you know, what's more important to you. So I don't use the Lowe's credit card anymore. We use, um, usually it's the Chase Business Preferred card or whatever, where the sign up bonus is, you know, a hundred thousand if you spend five thousand dollars within the first three months, something like that. And that's about a thousand dollars in in travel right there. So um that's something to be cautious of too, is take advantage of those points that the the credit card offers. I got to share a story because I was so frustrated when I did this, but um, we we signed up for, I think it was an American Express card for like one of our LLCs and um, like got the card and we have like a little booklet at home with all of our credit cards inside of it. I put it inside of that booklet and I just forgot about it. Like didn't even remember that we had it and I missed yeah. the window to spend oh. the $5,000 to get those bonus points. So it's like I applied for this card and like didn't even get to use it. Yeah. And then I finally went to go use it for something and it got like declined. I was like, what the heck is going on? It was a relatively small purchase amount. And they were like, oh, if you don't use the card, we actually reduce your spending limit down to something like, it was like $500 if you didn't use it fast enough. So I was like, what the heck am I going to do with this card now? You know, $500. So anyway. You go out to dinner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then pay yeah. it off immediately before you use it again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just did one. And I actually, what I, I'm always afraid of that, of missing. And I, so I always have to like go through and look like, when did I sign up for this? Whatever. So I started, I just opened one a couple of weeks ago and I put a calendar invite as to like, here's the last 30 days to hit that spend. So a reminder to myself to go in, look at, see how much I've spent so far. And I have 30 days before the, the statement ends or whatever to make sure. That That's I, a, a really I good idea. That. Yeah. I feel like I need like a Monday board that has like all my credit cards inside of it because we have so many different entities that we're spinning off right yeah. now. It's like, I, I feel like I need some, some place to keep it in line. Let's see. Our next question is from Charles Simon McEntee. First time buying a property and placing it for rent right away instead of living there in the beginning, then turning it into a rental. So I have two questions. Do you have to wait until closing date to place it on the market for rent? It's currently vacant. Second question. After closing, do you turn on all utilities for a few days under your name, then switch it to the tenant? Or do you just wait to have a tenant? So first question, which is a really good question, is um, typically, yes, you do have to wait. 
There could be the circumstance where you put that into your contract with the seller, but what happens if you don't end up closing on the property? So first of all, make sure you have permission from the actual owner to list that that unit for rent if you do decide to do that, because you could get into a lot of trouble listing a unit for rent that you don't usually that you don't even own yet. They call those uh, people scammers. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um so I would get permission from the seller to do that and get something in writing saying that it, it is okay and make it very clear that the the house is not available for showings or whatever until, you know, a specific date in the listing. And I would not accept any kind of application or deposit or anything until you actually own the house. Ash, what do you what do you think about like using like the the coming soon feature that you see on some listing platform? So maybe Charles could list the property, but not like you said, really allow anyone to do anything. But they can see the photos. It. They can yeah submit their interest, but not necessarily apply. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so in Appfolio, they have what's called guest cards. So it's like the first step of somebody being interested, where they you know fill out a little bit of information about themselves. And like, that could be a great first step as you're just collecting your list so that when you do close, you can contact these people and say, Hey, I'm doing a showing this day or, you know, start to say that it's now available. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great idea to do the, the coming soon for sure. I didn't even think of that. Okay. For the second part, after closing, do you turn on all utilities for a few days under your name and switch it to the tenant? Or do you just have to wait for a tenant? utilities and insurance when acquiring a property, you guys would be so proud of me. I closed on a property on Friday and everything was done at least four days in advance. Usually it's the day before, <laughs> but for this, so think about it, especially since it's vacant and you're going to want to show the unit and you most likely won't have a tenant lined up because you're not showing it before you own it as you want to have the lights on, you want to have, you know, the gas on. Here's what has happened to me a couple times when I forgot to switch the utilities is that I then own the property. Well, the person that sold me the property, they call and say, I no longer own this property. If nobody else has called to switch it into their name, the utilities get shut off. So when the utilities are shut off, especially for gas, when they come and turn them on, they give you a time frame from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. that they will be there. And someone has to be there to let them in. There also has to be some kind of appliance in there, like a stove, where they can turn it on to make sure, you know, it lights the gas. There's, you know, everything is good. And they also check all the pipes for gas leaks. Um, so if you have a little tiny gas leak, a little pinhole, they will not turn your gas on. It is way better to have a plumber come in and assess the pipes while the gas is on so that you don't have to go through the whole thing and they will actually red tag your uh, your property and you have to wait until you can get a plumber to fix it and then you have to pass a whole inspection to get your gas actually turned back on. So having utilities stay on is worth you putting it, making that phone call. And sometimes you can do it just online too. You don't even need to call anymore. Put it into your name those couple of days. Then some utility companies even have a landlord program so every time somebody moves out of your, your property, they will automatically resort it back to your name. And then you'll, you don't even have to call anymore when somebody moves out to switch it back into your name. They'll just switch it back until the new tenant calls to put it into their name too. 
It also keeps you listed as the owner of the property if there's any problems or things like that. So I recommend doing that in advance once you know the closing date. So if you know you're closing on the 15th, call. Even if it's two weeks before, call and say it's 15th. You can always change it or worst case scenario, you're paying you know, the electric for an extra day or something like that. Or what can happen is, which is what happened to me, um, <laughs> you know, I think I, I can't, I think I shared the story, but um, I had a property that was selling and, uh, you know, for the buyer's inspections, I had to turn some of the utilities back on. And one of those utilities was, I think it was the gas uh, company and I turned it back on, uh, forgot to call to turn it back off. And, um, they, I think eventually they end up like shutting it down, but they sent the final bill to the property instead of to me. And I ended up going to collections for like a $200 <laughs> gas bill because I never got notification that it was still running. So I actually just like got that removed from my credit report after fighting with them for like a year. Um, so if you are going to do it, just make sure that you're, you're like Ashley, that you're planning it out correctly. Um, and that you're not like me and forgetting that you have these, uh, utilities turned on at certain properties. Yeah. And that was one thing that actually, I didn't get anything sent to collection. Actually, I think I did get one thing sent to collection when I, uh, left my property management company, I found out there was a lot of bills that weren't being paid, things like that. And a couple of them were utility bills where tenants had moved out and they put it into my name and like the billing address was the property management company. Yeah. Like they got the bills. They had to get the notices, things like that. Didn't and then, send them to you. Yeah. And this was even when they were managing it. It wasn't like they were done <laughs> yet. Like this bill was from like January and they managed until May. So um, there's just like that. I remember and I remember getting the letter like that. It, I think it was like going into collections or something. Yeah. And I'm like calling and like, what, what is this even for? I don't even know. And right. yeah. yeah. And, um, so nerve wracking. Like, you know, that's like the worst feeling, like to like be surprised that you're going into collections. <laughs> like I was, I was literally applying for a refinance and my lender calls me. He's like, Hey Tony, like, um, you know, we're still going to be able to close, but your interest rate isn't going to be when I told you because you've got this collection account. I'm like collections. Like I've, you know, I've never missed a bill in my life. Like, what are you talking about? And yeah, anyway. Um, learn from my mistakes. Uh, you know, just be be on top of that because it can it can hurt you in the in the long run if you're not. Yeah, my one business partner, he was going to buy a new business with his dad, and he had to be like approved. It was like a franchise thing, and he had to be approved by the franchise, and he was denied. And it was because he had a Spectrum cable bill that was unpaid <laughs> from when he lived in one of his dad's apartment complexes and stuff, and it was yeah. just like this whole thing, and you know he immediately but he was so embarrassed because it like went to this franchise group he's trying to you know start this business so that everything is like you, you can't even pay a, yeah. a internet bill and you want to yeah. buy a franchise but just if you do find yourself in that situation um you can get it removed from your credit report um you have to ask for what's called a deletion letter uh so like you know basically i called these people i said hey look i'm i'm happy to pay you your money like i just need a deletion letter and part of the the beef was that i wanted the deletion letter before i actually paid it that way i could make sure that i actually got it right. um but they were just like paying hardball so eventually i just like paid them the money up front and they sent the deletion letter afterwards and you submit that deletion letter they'll do it as well but then you can submit it yourself to like the credit bureaus to actually show that it's paid in full and it comes off of your credit report wow. um so yeah i learned a lot about removing <laughs> things from <laughs> yeah. your credit report you know what i'm glad process. you went through that experience so that if that does happen to me i know what yeah, to do now you don't have to freak out about it now. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. You've had a long day and waiting for you at home is a, is a frozen dinner? Look, you deserve better. Thankfully, Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals are here to help. Fuel your body with what it needs with over 35 delicious, dietitian approved weekly options, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto Meals, all ready in just two minutes. Now, look, these are restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. That's right, no prep, no dishes, no more messy meals. And look, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. And pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. With breakfast options like pancakes, midday snacks, smoothies, and more, you'll stay fit and full all day. Look, I'm getting hungry just thinking about Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash Ricky50 and use code Ricky50 to get 50% off. That's Ricky50 at factormeals.com slash Ricky50 to get 50% off. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make your moves count. Bought a rental? That's a move. Made some serious stock gains? That's a move. Quit your job to go full-time on your side hustle? That's a move. Relocated for a fresh start? Okay, that's literally a move. Your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Whether you moved on from a job, made moves in your own business, did some side hustling, or house flipped your way to financial freedom, TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction that you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. TurboTax will make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.
Okay, let's go on to our next question here. This one is from Kristen Marks. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for adding me. So this must be a question from our Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. If you want to leave a question, you can definitely leave it into the group or you can go to biggerpockets.com slash reply. Kristen says, I'm new to real estate investing and have a question. If I am looking at a pre-foreclosure and there are liens against the property, can I still buy the property from the buyer or do I have to go through any lawyer or get it okayed from the bank? Thanks in advance. I'm excited to be starting this journey. Tony, have you ever bought anything in uh, foreclosure or pre-foreclosure? I I have not, but I think uh, it's it might be even, even good, Ash, like define a few of these terms, right? So like, what is foreclosure? What's a lien? Um, and, and kind of what does that process look like? So um, foreclosure is when a person who owns a home uh, or someone who is paying a mortgage, right? They have debt, they have a mortgage against their property and they stop paying that mortgage payment. The bank then comes in and repossesses the property. So they you know, take ownership back um, and they foreclose on the person that owns the property, right? So it's for failure of payment on your on your mortgage and then the bank now owns that property and then they want to get get it sold as fast as they possibly can. Pre foreclosure is like the step right before the bank takes it, takes it back uh, because banks don't want to they don't want to be in the business of owning real estate, right? They're in the business of lending money and making money on the money that they lend. So if they can find a way to uh, you know short sell that property if it's necessary or whatever they can do to to get out of it before they actually have to foreclose and take full ownership, they'll do that. So that's that pre foreclosure process. And then a lien itself is basically, I guess, how, how would you describe a lien? It's like someone has a claim against a property. Money is owed to that person. And yes. when the property sells, they are entitled to payment from the sale of that property. Great definition. So like one common one is, you know, you have a line of credit. So you have your mortgage and then you go and get a, a line of credit for $10,000. So if your house sells, you have to pay back that $10,000 or whatever the balance is due on your line of credit. Or there's also, um, what is it called? A contractor's lien or is it mechanics lien? Mechanics lien. I was like, I know it's not contractor. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> so if you have somebody that comes and does work on your house and you don't pay them for that, they can go ahead and put a mechanics lien on your property too. So like anyone that, that has a mortgage right now, like whether you realize it or not, you have a lien against your property, right? So before you go off, like say you sell your property and maybe you bought it for $200,000, you're selling it for a million bucks. If you still have a mortgage on that property, you don't get that full million. You've got to go back and pay off your original lender first. So that's a lien. And that's what, when you're going and getting title work done, you're paying for that when you close on a property, this is what they're doing is looking for liens um, on the property. Uh, another type of lien too is a judgment lien. So this doesn't even have to do with anything with the property. So I had a tenant that trashed a unit. They moved out. They used a lot of back rent. We uh, evicted them, but I also went to small claims court and did a judgment against them. And they now have, so it's valid for 10 years. If they sell a property, a vehicle, anything that's in their name, 
those funds from that have to go and pay my judgment and it will last for 10 years. I think we're like on year, we might be on year 10 right now. I don't know, but close to, and um, I think it's maybe year eight. Then I don't see yeah. myself getting anything getting, from it. Let's just, let's just cross your fingers, Ash. They like won the lotto or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they come into this big chunk of money and then you get paid out. Uh, I did see them at Verizon shortly after that all happened and they're in there buying a brand new iPhone or whatever. And I remember no them like way. waving at me saying hi and I was like I was fuming I was like how can you even look me in the face right now and I did it way back <laughs> I just, I literally think that I shook my head at them like with disgust man that's another reason why I like long distance real estate investing because if I ever do have to evict someone I don't have to worry about like bumping into ever them, them yeah 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 true <laughs> yeah. okay so there's all these different types of lien there's consensual liens purchase money security liens statutory liens non-purchase money security liens uh, all these different liens that can be on the property. And that's where you want to have your title work done is to seeing what these liens are that come up. You can do a little research yourself. Like if you're just, you know, scoping out a property and don't want to pay to have all this title work done because you're not under contract or anything. If you go to um, like PropStream, we'll usually tell you if there's some kind of bank lien on it by like bank financing on it. Like if there's a, a first lien for the mortgage, if they have a home equity loan or a line of credit that's on there too, or sometimes even if there's a private money that finance the purchase of the house, something like that. Uh, then you can also go to the county clerk records and you're able to pull up documents from that. So you would actually type in the seller's name and it would give you some documents that would show, sometimes it will come up and show different liens that have been filed against that person in that county. So I would start with the county the property is in and look for anything that comes up with their their name too. You can get quite a bit of information from the public record of county clerks. So have you ever purchased, uh, Ashley, a property that has a lien against it? Well, all the time because there's mortgages. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess beyond beyond like the traditional lien, but say something that's got like a judgment lien or maybe like a mechanics lien or uh, people can you can have a lien for like unpaid property taxes. Um, just like have you purchased any property with uh, a, a different type of lien? Yeah. So I, I'm sure there's probably some that I don't even know about because it was just I'm paying for the property and then the attorney's you know, have the money in escrow and they're like, okay, when I get my closing statement would say, okay, like the property I just closed on, it was like, we need five different, uh, cashier's checks. They, you know, we couldn't wire the money they wanted the cashier's checks. And I had to get five different cashier's checks. And one was going to the seller's attorney. One was going to my attorney. One was going to the title company. One was going to the, the clerk's office and one was going to the seller's estate. But that could be, you know, it could be one is going to, uh, key bank. One is going to uh, the private money lender. Like I'm sure that's probably happened where there's been different liens on the property of what's being paid off. And I'm just oblivious to it because it's just something that's handled through the attorneys and it's on the seller's end and the purchase price covers it. And it's not me accumulating those liens during the purchase. They're being paid off. Um, The one property that we purchased subject to, it was a farm and we took over the payments for the mortgage from the seller. Uh, that was part, that's what subject to is when you take over the existing mortgage and it stays in the seller's name, but there was back taxes owed on it. And there was a mechanics lien on the property. The mechanics lien wasn't a lot, but the back taxes, I think were like $20,000, um, paying off the back taxes, the mechanics lien, and then also catching the person up on their mortgage payments that were passed due. 
that was less money than if we would have went to a bank and put a down payment on an investment property. So that deal ended up working out great for us. And that was part of the leverage. If that person would have went and sold that property on the open market, they would have been underwater. They wouldn't have had enough equity to actually pay those back taxes. And they were in pre-foreclosure. We initially approached the bank about doing a short sale. That was our first idea. And then I learned about... um we, subject two, we had a guest on the podcast who had done it. And this was even before I had heard of Pace Morby. We had someone on that talked about it. I was like, please send me your documents. I'm going to send this to my yeah. attorney. This was, uh, this was this. Kevin Christensen, right? Yes, yes. That's who yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we, uh, we, you know, paid off the mechanics lien and we paid off the, the back taxes and then paid what uh, to catch up the mortgage so that it was no longer in default. Um, and then we were able to do the property into our name, but, and then as, so that was a property that was, you know, in pre foreclosure, but then we did a property. I actually bought a property that was in foreclosure. The bank actually listed it on the MLS and that was a slow grueling process working with the bank to try to close on this property as just like, it was very slow moving. It's just somebody at the bank that's, you know, working on it. It's not a motivated seller trying to get this deal closed, but um, yeah. there was no, there was just the the bank owned it. And I don't even know what, you know, they was owed on the property when they took possession of it. It sat for a couple of years vacant before we had even purchased it. I was, I was trying to see if I could find our episode with Kevin Christensen. Uh, it was, it was early in the archive. So maybe our, our producers can help us out here, but um, he, he's also exceptionally super active in the real estate rookie Facebook group. Um, so if you just search Kevin Christensen in the real estate rookie Facebook group, um, you'll, you'll see some good stuff and I'm sure he's probably even posted his episode inside of there as well. But um, yeah, really just harder gold, that guy and big on like just giving back to people. Yeah, show number 51. 51. Wow, yeah. man, that was early, early on. Yeah, February 10th, 2021. Yeah, because I think my first episode was 39 or something like that. So that oh, was, yeah. Yeah, we, we barely even knew each other at that point, <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> that was probably like right around when we met in person, right? Was it probably. Like, It was in the winter when the first time we met yeah. in person going to bigger pockets? Yeah. Going to BP, yeah, going to the headquarters. Yeah. How how so much has changed, right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> now you're having a baby. Now we're having a baby. Now you're, you're sleeping in my son's bedroom when you don't have anywhere to crash. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this week's Rookie Reply. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Wednesday with another guest. Stay.